Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Been a lot of discussion about the U.S. Census. The count has just finally ended after some controversy and discussion. What are the long-term demographic trends in the Pittsburgh area, specifically the Mon Valley area, where our two radio stations are located? Can we expect them to continue, and what sort of factors are driving them? Joining us is someone who has done a lot of research into the demographics of the Pittsburgh area. He's Chris Breen. He's a regional economist at the University of Pittsburgh in the University Center for Social and Urban Research. Uh, Good morning, Chris. Good to be here. Um, so we the, the Pittsburgh area, more or less, and this is a super generalization, and I hope you will correct me on it, more or less has lost population in every census since, what, 1980? Oh, at least that and probably further back. I mean, it's uh, the demographics here follow from a lot of uh, economic history. I suspect you talk about that a lot here on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the region here suffered uh, tremendously. I, I, let's go back. I mean, yeah. I think the region has not been a growth area for a long time. Um, a lot of that has to do with the nature of, you know, the growth areas, the Sun Belt, uh, parts of the Western U.S., and really the industries here, even when they weren't, even before they were declining in sort of an output sense, were becoming more efficient and thus needing fewer workers to produce the same output. So we haven't had been that job generator for 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 not just since the '80s, but really going back decades before that. And so that sort of has put a, a strain on demographics. But then the '80s came. And uh, people think of the Rust Belt or, or all the, the heavy industry contraction that happened. We really were an outlier in how bad it was here. And really, a lot, we lost a whole lot of uh, younger folks. And those younger folks, um, especially younger workers, took with them their families and their future families. And that's really been defining uh, the, economic, the, the demographic trends here uh, for decades. I mean, the, the job loss happened quickly. Uh, economic change has happened along the way. But demographics, you know, really... Uh, operates on a much longer time scale. So even though that's ancient history, maybe to some folks from an economic sense, we're still living through the uh, demographic impacts of losing so many folks. So, so, uh, you're, now, so you're saying it started as soon as the 1960s, 1970s, and it was driven by people looking for, for I, this is a drastic oversimplification, but looking for better weather, better climate? You got to put together, it's a hottest population change. I mean, there's only two ways population change. There's uh, something called natural population change, births and deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, migration, and there's two parts of that, inflows and outflows. So you have to consider that even though there was might have been some population growth, you know, post-World War II, a lot of that was the baby boom generation being born, uh, pushing up populations everywhere. Really, we've been probably uh, suffering from net out-migration, you know, uh, since the end of World War II at, at the very latest, um, and parts of the region even before that. We're going to talk about the Mon Valley mm-hmm. and sort of specific yeah. municipalities, they were have been hit by two issues. It's not really the regional change, which is what I've, I've been talking about, but this suburbanization of the population, you know, the, the residential population has been moving outward from these early agglomerations of where people live. You know, those, those, those steel workers from 100, 
I say 100 years ago, we're talking 150 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, lived in close proximity to um, their places of work. You walked to the mill. You had, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean our industry. Or you took maybe a streetcar. Yeah. Um, but, you know, come uh, even the, the early part of the 20th century and certainly by the end of World War II, you know, people were choosing to live elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so really it was that double whammy of, of suburbanization which is really the story of the Mon Valley municipalities. I mean, the population decline uh, should not be thought of as a as a, um, a steel industry change. It really pre in almost all of these municipalities that I think you're talking about uh, in our uh, folks listening, uh, the population decline really started before the 1980s, and it's hard to say it even pushed it accelerated. It, it had started quite a while before that. Chris Bream is a regional economist and researcher at the University Center for Social and Urban Research at the University of Pittsburgh. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Bream, and I believe you also have a website where you post uh, articles and other things that you've uh, dug up at uh, bream.com, correct? That's my personal one, and certainly my uh, center, uh, UCSUR, can be found, and that's where we have most of our professional work, so feel free to yeah. look at any of those places. For, for most of these communities, it's it's stunning to me that, that the borough of Braddock, for instance, once had a population of 20,000 people. In fact, I learned fairly recently that, that Braddock's zoning code, until a few years ago, did not allow single-family homes. It only allowed high-density residential because it had 20,000 people crammed into a very small space, the population of Braddock is now 2,000. Um, and it really did. You, you mentioned that the population outflow from the Mon Valley really began when people moved from Duquesne to West Mifflin and Pleasant Hills, or from McKeesport to White Oak and North Huntington, from Braddock to Braddock Hills, Churchill, Forest Hills. Uh, that was the sort of suburban outflow of the 1950s. The, the, the more regional picture, though really starts in the 1970s. And as you said, the, the job losses that, that are, are stunning to imagine something like 300,000 to 400,000 job losses in a metropolitan area of what was then probably 1.6 million and is now 1.2 million. That's a huge, huge chunk of, of jobs that disappeared in the 1980s. And they disappeared. They, they really went away and they went away fairly quickly. Fast. I mean, people, um, you're talking about in the 70s, a lot of people believe Job losses in the 70s. Certainly, there was a lot of economic angst in the 70s, having to do with the uh, oil crises mm-hmm. and gas prices. But really, there were about 300,000 manufacturing jobs uh, here in the region at the beginning of the 70s, and, and also at the end of the 1970s. It's really the beginning of the 80s. There were actually two recessions, or yeah. you can consider them one big recession uh, that really hit us, and that's when the job losses really, really happened, um, and, and really destroyed the job opportunities for young. If you were a young worker. In anywhere near Pittsburgh or Western Pennsylvania in 1982, uh, your rational, you know, plan was for to find economic opportunities elsewhere. If you were an older worker, uh, you probably didn't have the same set of opportunities, right. or you were locked in place here. And that's really when we went from being somewhat a somewhat older region to really one of the oldest regions uh, in the country. And that's sort of does that still um, hold true? Because that's often a, a thing that's sort of thrown out there—a a factoid or an, a, a piece of anecdata that, well, Pittsburgh is the Second oldest after Miami, Miami-Dade, Florida, is is often thrown out there. Is there any truth to that? Well, it certainly has been true broadly, and it's certainly broadly true today. The difference today is, um, well, you know, whether we're number two behind Miami-Dade mm-hmm. or Tampa or whatever. I mean, what's old mean? Old, you know, one uh, easy metric is uh, percentage of the population uh, age sixty-five and over. That's just one way to measure mm-hmm. it. You can do it lots of other ways. Um, what's changed in the last decade, or really a couple decades, but really accelerating is that within the city of Pittsburgh, at least, 
there, it's, the city has gotten much younger and the city has really sort of shifted its demographics and is no longer anywhere near close to being one of the oldest places. It's actually probably below the national average in the percentage age 65 and over. Once you go outside the city of Pittsburgh, though, that's still pretty much true. And certainly as you leave out Allegheny County, with some exceptions, different counties have different things going on. But we, the bottom line is we have a lot of we still have a lot of very old uh, municipalities and, and certainly as a, as a whole, the region is still relatively old. It's almost counterintuitive, though, because I can understand people out there who say, well, look, there's been all this new construction houses in Westmoreland County, especially North Huntington, Murraysville, Penn Township area. There's new construction in, in Butler County. There's North Catholic High School moved to, to, the, to the North Hills. Uh, how, how can you say that these places are actually losing population? But in fact, Westmoreland County has declined in population. Are we just moving people around? Well, they're still moving around. I mean, I think each of the one, each of the stories you you just threw out there, I could probably have an individual story for the movement of North Catholic probably reflects a demographic shift that mm-hmm. could have happened 20 or 30 years ago. It just took some time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the North Hills, you know, the north part of Allegheny County, North Hills, parts of Butler County, not all of Butler County, are one of the more growing places. And by growing, and that is some shift within the region, but also places that are attracting the, the people moving into the region, they're more likely to be moving there. But uh, Westmoreland County as a whole, you know, you might see some development. I mean, but it's, it's certainly one of the older parts of the region and uh, probably getting older, also getting older to this day. So different stories for different sub parts of the region. But, but that's true about all, all regions. We have to take a 30 second break. When we come back, I, w- I want to continue discussing that. And I also want to talk about something that you touched on, which is the younger workers, the, the maybe 35 to 45 who moved away in the early 1980s, they also took their kids with them. So I want to ask kind of about this, the the demographic spread of the Pittsburgh region and how it looks compared to maybe other parts of the country, okay? Yeah. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifler's.com or call 4 Welcome back. Our guest is Chris Bream. He is a regional economist with the Urban and Regional, uh, excuse me, the University Center for Social and Urban Research, USER, at the University of Pittsburgh. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Bream. We are talking about demographic changes in the Pittsburgh area in my lifetime and probably in your lifetime as well, and also what we can expect to see when the 2020 census results are finally tabulated for the South Hills and Mon Valley regions. So, there was a there was a thing in the early 20th century, the writers and poets and artists that they called the lost generation after World War One. Did we lose a generation here in the Pittsburgh area? Because you mentioned before we took the break, all of these folks who in the 1980s left the Pittsburgh area, mostly went to the Sun Belt or California looking for work. If they had children, they took the kids with them. So it's not just the people who were in their 30s and 40s who moved away. It was also the people who were in their toddlerhood or childhood who grew up then in Arizona, California, Florida. So, I mean, I think uh, Pittsburgh is one of the few places where you get people talking about our vast diaspora. That's mm-hmm. not really common in, the, in a U.S. context. Um, I mean, look, there, 
the peak out migration um, in the early 80s, we were losing more, the number of people we were losing net of those who were moving in the region, about 50,000 a year, mm -hmm. which is a tremendous loss, but it's really, the impact really came from the fact that it was what we call very age selective. It's, 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 a, it's a Penn Hills and Monroeville every year, basically, or a, or a McKeesport and West Mifflin every year moving away. At least. I'd yeah. have to go look at even uh, probably more than that these days. Mm -hmm. But but 50,000 a year, it was very age selective. I mean, very much uh, folks in their, in their 20s. Early career people. Early career people yeah. because, I mean, those are the folks who had uh, the opportunities to move elsewhere. You know, all of us get older. Uh, you probably don't have the same job opportunities elsewhere. All sorts of things will, will keep you in place. Um, so really, I mean, the issue was, you know, here, here we are, a region trying to evolve past the decline of heavy industry. The workers that were most able to adapt and change into new industries are what we really didn't have. And that's really took, taken quite a while to rebuild that. It's not a coincidence. If there are any sort of it's sort of a mixed story of what's going on here in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of economic change for the positive. There's some a lot of areas that have not participated in that, but it is not a coincidence that really the the, the real positive stories of economic change in Pittsburgh are 30 or you know 30 years after the worst of steel decline. That's about a I'll call it a career span. Yeah, you know it's taken that long to to rebuild the workforce. Again, it's the demographic loss from the steel jobs that really far exceeded the the the, the pain of the, the of the loss of people far exceeded the pain of the loss of jobs. We're, we're talking with Chris Breen. He's a regional economist at the University of Pittsburgh, and we're talking about demographic change in, in the Pittsburgh area and also about the uh, 2020 census, which has just concluded we will have the results early in 2021. Is this typical? Because there have been other parts of the United States that have lost manufacturing jobs. New England, for instance, went through a huge contraction in the 1940-1950 period where the things like shoes and clothing and furniture manufacturing went away. Did it take 30 years, 40 years for those areas to, to recover as well? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, New England in particular, you know, lost textile and, and a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. I think it actually was well before that. I think the peak in manufacturing in the New England, probably you have to go back. Pre-World War II. Not pre-World War One. I. Okay. I have to go think about that a little bit. Okay. Um, but it certainly happened over a much longer period, and, mm. and I think that's that's the real issue. I mean, the compounded job loss here in 1982, 1983, we were such a manufacturing region. Everyone had the same type of jobs. Yep. Those were the jobs that weren't here. Um, if this, were, if it were spread out over a much longer time period, it gives workers and their families and their kids time to evolve and look into new careers and and plan for other things. But we had, you know, not, we. We, had, we didn't just have fathers and sons, and it was mostly a male workforce, not entirely working in the mills, but there were three generation mm -hmm. uh, families working in the mills. Uh, the other big loss, if you just want to talk about it, I mean, before Pittsburgh in the 80s, the, the greatest sort of regional decline people talked about, it's kind of coming back again these days, was what was called the Boeing bust. People think of Seattle as yeah. a great story, but the late 60s, early 70s. They really lost that. I mean, really, you know, a lot of jobs at Boeing went away for about, you know, several different reasons. Uh, they went through, this is where um, two local real estate guys put up a, a big billboard. They actually met it as, as was yes, that the as last parody. The last one out of Seattle turned out the lights? Was that the well, billboard? The, well, the, yeah. Well, the last person leaving Seattle, um, please turn out the lights. And we, we, but it was a joke. They, they meant that as a joke. They thought they were, they put it up on the, the road leading to the airport thing that people would see it as parody and realize that things were still pretty good in Seattle. Of course, we all uh, missing, we, we've all reinterpreted that ever sure. since. Um, uh, 
but Seattle probably hit 12% unemployment um, in the early 70s very briefly. Mm-hmm. You know, we peaked over 18%. And the real difference between, if not Seattle, and, and I think New England's probably its own the historical analogy, but Seattle and Seattle, those jobs came back. I mean, not only did all their total job numbers come back, but their manufacturing job numbers came back fairly quickly. I mean, the Boeing numbers, the aviation industry there, and then also other industries started to grow. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of stuff. Our jobs went away permanently. None of these steel jobs uh, came back, um, and nor, nor are they likely to come back, even though many still think so. Uh, Chris Bream is a regional economist at the University of Pittsburgh. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Bream. He's also got a website where he posts uh, different Really interesting historical documents and facts that he digs up. That's at bream.com. It's his personal website, which also will link back then to the University Center for Social and Urban Research at Pitt. Some of the interests that you have intersect very nicely with mine. And one of the things you just touched on was there was a real feeling here in the 1980s, I think probably up until about 1990-91, that all of these skilled tradespeople who were still here, these people who had you know, that different kinds of manufacturing were going to flow into the Pittsburgh market to take its place. I think you just recently posted a couple of uh, surveys or, or reports that were suggesting that, you know, McKeesport and Duquesne and some of these places were poised for heavy manufacturing to come back. This is probably too complicated for a half-hour podcast, but that never did happen like it did in Seattle. Why is that? Well, I, so what we were good at, heavy integrated ore-based steel production, mm-hmm. You know, was here for a, lot, a number of reasons, but you know, the core reason is, you know, we have this great, tremendous uh, uh, reserve of metallurgic coal out in Connellsville. Mm-hmm. That's literally the reason that really the, the steel industry found this a very competitive re- region to be in, um, and it grew tremendously for that. Uh, that competitive advantage probably peaked a century ago. Mm-hmm. I, I usually quote 1920, so I mean, I guess here we are in 2020. This is not a recent phenomenon. Yeah. It's only that we had so much invested in these. I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but the fundamental there's so much investment in these large integrated steel plants. They lasted a long time, but they were not competitive for many decades before they went away. The, the question the I always ask. Yeah. So, so the figure that, that boggles my mind is in 1980, Edgar Thompson Works in Braddock produced something like 3 million tons of steel, and they did it with about 5,000 workers. Last year... Edgar Thompson works in Braddock, produced about 3 million tons of steel, and they did it with about 600 workers. Which is a separate phenomenon than what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, certainly all manufacturers, to be successful, to compete mm-hmm. nationally, internationally, have to be very lean and efficient. And what I mean, that translates to me into what's called labor force productivity, and certainly the steel industry has become more productive. And so even if, they, even if this was a region that you would want to invest in for, to make more steel, even if the region was um, doing well and the industry was doing well, the number of workers that you would need to make that steel um, would is much less than it ever was. I mean, just just to put this in perspective, I think the peak employment in manufacturing, not all steel, but almost all related to steel, uh, probably came in 1953 in the region, probably about 380, uh, almost 390,000 manufacturing workers in Pittsburgh. That's about 40% of all local workers uh, for a long time. That can't ever come back in that sense, even though I, I hear you mentioned something about the early 90s. I, yeah. I think I hear people talking about reindustrializing, reindustrializing mm-hmm. Pittsburgh or reindustrializing the, the Mon Valley. I've heard that very, fairly recently. There, there's, some folks have not never moved on from that. We, we are going to move on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about what trends you expect to see in the 2020 uh, census results, including I'd like to ask you, we don't seem to have a large 
percentage of people emigrating to the Pittsburgh area from foreign countries from overseas. So I want to ask you about that when we come back, okay? Oh, good. Chris Bream is our guest this morning. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. So the 2020 census, the count has finally concluded after a fair amount of sturm and drung, which we need not get into. We've discussed it on this program with uh, other folks uh, over the past few months. But what can we expect to see? I mean, we're all expecting kind of, I think some of the local elected officials are bracing themselves that they're going to see big contraction again in some areas. Do you expect that as well? Maybe before I answer that, I guess I should point out, I I do know some folks out there doing it and certainly officially the you know field operations have, have ended but what's actually going on so i don't want people to be shocked is like there is ongoing census work including they have quality control and mm-hmm. all sorts of other backup things so there are still census folks calling people up might be showing up at your door yeah. I, I hear that there's been so much news about the census that seems shocking to, to mm-hmm. folks otherwise they wouldn't have paid attention to it but i hear that they're getting a lot of pushback from uh, hearing the news that it's all over it's not over please cooperate with okay. your local census worker going forward We'll be learning a lot of stuff about the region uh, over the next year. I mean, at the end of the year, we'll, we'll get some reapportionment data that, that's at the state level. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania is clearly going to lose um, one congressional seat. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think everyone, there's no big surprise about that. So that will lead to redistricting within the state. Um, the declines, I, I think, are happening. I, I think what's, what's interesting is that the southwestern part of the state um, has not actually lost as much as it has relative to the rest of the state has, as has been typical okay. in the last couple of decades. So the last couple of decades, there was actually a fairly significant shift of uh, state uh, representation in that state house races, mm-hmm. state senate races, uh, state senate seats to the rest of the state, which required some fairly massive shifting. I don't Mostly know, to I the don't... Philadelphia area, but also a little bit around the center county uh, corridor. Yeah, well, there's sort of a crescent of growth in the western part of the state. I mean, Allentown has been growing for decades from Allentown down to Philadelphia. South central Pennsylvania has been growing. It's, it's not, if you know, people don't realize that, you know, there really are parts of south central Pennsylvania that have become almost um, parts of the Washington, D.C. metro they're, area. They're bedroom is, communities now for Washington, D.C. And, and that's yeah. been true before now. I, I, it might be interesting to see how COVID uh, accelerates that. You know, you might be able to telework from uh, into D.C.-based jobs pretty easily from there. We might see some interesting shifts there. But that that's all for the future. I think we're already past the uh, mm-hmm. census uh, reference day here earlier in the year. I think the real – so anyway, so the bottom line is that I don't think there won't be – there will not be as much angst over shifting state House and state Senate seats as there were in past decades. Some of that, but not as much. I think the real issue that uh, has been challenging – will be just how the, the COVID impact. A lot of college towns, a lot of students moved out quickly. Um, the Senate, you know, a lot of students were gone before April 1st, which is the, the reference day for the census. The census wants to count people where they would have been as of April 1st. But mm-hmm. that gets awfully challenging when you get into where students who have gone back home, they're being counted by their families. And really then it gets, think about our foreign students, a lot of foreign students here in the region, and that really might have a, a palpable impact on some areas. So that's a city of Pittsburgh thing. Mm-hmm. Certainly some of the college towns throughout Pennsylvania. 
Indiana, um, California, uh, State College, University Park area, sure. And goes on, you yeah. know, you, we can name all the great yeah. you know, schools through, mm-hmm. across Pennsylvania, many of which are very much college towns, yeah. uh, truly. So, I mean, that's, that's, the, the, that's my short answer. We could talk for an hour on all the other things we'll find out, but that's why we do the count, right? Yeah. Let, let me ask you, and we only have a few minutes left, but let me ask you about um, immigration to this area from uh, other countries, because something that strikes me, I'm not as well-traveled as I would like to be, but something that always strikes me when you travel outside of the Pittsburgh metro area to other metro areas is how many people you meet who were born outside of the United States, how many people you meet who speak with an accent or, or have, have brought some of their culture with them. And that includes the Harrisburg area, for instance. That includes Philadelphia, for instance. It seems like in Pittsburgh, we're very much native-born. I think Westmoreland County is, is one of the highest percentages of native-born people in the United States, I think, is, is one statistic I saw recently. It, do you expect that to continue when we look at the 2020 census, that this continues to be an area where we stick close to home here. So international immigration is, is yeah. I mean, this, this economic story of the region of, of job loss has translated into us not being a region that has had a, not had a lot of net uh, job growth for a while. And that's really, okay. at least I believe, the real generator of, of uh, migration. I mean, so it's not just international immigrants. We really have a low num- flow of folks moving into the region. It's not true that people are leaving Pittsburgh. A lot of people think that yeah. people are fleeing Pittsburgh. They're really that not is, because people live here for generations, right? The, the early, we've already just talked about how many people were leaving in yeah. the early 80s. That slowed down very quickly even by the end of the 80s. We don't show up in sort of a, in an abnormal way at the rate at which people leave Pittsburgh. However, we do. We are pretty abnormal at the low flows of people moving into the region, and that translates into not only people moving here from elsewhere in the country, but in particular folks moving uh, here from um, overseas. So we rank incredibly low in terms of the uh, uh, foreign-born population here, the new flows of international immigrants, which is really the only source of population growth in the U.S. these days for the most part. So that's one part of the, the one of the factors as to why internet uh, population growth here is so low. So it's not um, just people who are not moving to the U.S. from Africa, Eastern Europe, and South America. They're not moving here from Saginaw, Michigan, and... Uh, Toledo, Ohio, either. I mean, there are some. I mean, that's yeah. not the same. It's a big region. There are 40 or 50,000 people who move into the region every year. It's not like we all know a lot of folks who are new to the region. Mm-hmm. It's just that most regions have a much larger proportional flow of, of new people moving in. I mean, all sorts of things are part of that. We actually generate a lot of great college grads every mm-hmm. year. I think a lot of local employers are very used to having this great talent pool. They don't need to recruit nationally the way a lot of other regions might. There's a lot of piece of that. Uh, but the, the, to your question, which is, is that going to change? I don't, uh, in general, no for the region. Uh, again, a lot of stories these days um, differ more than they used to in terms of which part of the region you're talking yeah. about. So, you know, the city of Pittsburgh, parts of Allegheny County are suburban counties. And then even, even all our suburban counties that have some slightly different stories of late. Simply a story of we're just not producing enough jobs to attract people in, just as we attracted people in the 1880s and 1890s because there was this massive rapid job growth. We're not having that massive rapid rapid job growth here. So, yeah, I mean, we probably don't have time to get into it. I mean, this is the demographics here are challenging. Um, And I point out usually when I explain this that, you know, 70% of the economy here in the region is producing goods and services for the local population, the people who live here. Mm -hmm. So the demographic challenges, you know, things that are sort of impeding demographic growth, are really directly impacting 70% of the economy. So that's part of the net job growth that, you know, we're not having. Mm-hmm. 
and you know places that are do have a lot more younger folks having a lot more uh, natural population gains. We are really the only large metropolitan area. Some we can talk about you know whether maybe Tampa might might fit this boat of natural population. Like we have more deaths than births every yeah. year. That translates into a lot of lost jobs. Yeah. Um, and so without sort of a big numbers for net job growth, you don't have the pressures within the labor market to sort of really attract people into the region. Um, but it's a big topic. It is a big topic. Maybe we can pick it up at another time. And certainly uh, maybe once the census results are out and, and we've had a chance to shake some of the numbers, uh, maybe you would come back and talk with us again. Would that be okay? Sure. Uh, Chris Bream is a regional economist with the University Center for Social and Urban Research at the University of Pittsburgh. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Bream. You can also find his personal website at bream.com. Chris, thank you for taking a little bit of time to talk with us this morning. All good. And thank you all for listening today to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.